Welcome to episode 250 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, AKA it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration and electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 251 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fantastic. How are you? I am good. Can I tell you two nice things that happen that I think speak to just how far my journey has come in the podcasting world? A hundred percent, yes. And then in a minute, I have to talk about snow because I promised I would. Oh, let's talk about snow first. I was like, I promised that would be the first thing I talked about this week. The snow that did not happen. It happened. Oh, it happened for you? Yes. We had an inch of snow. What? Yeah, we had snow on Friday night. I mean, I was going to say... 
What happened to the snow? Because it didn't snow here. Okay. We had an inch of snow. It was so much fun. I was watching the radar and it was actually kind of hilarious because you know how I talked about the fall line and where we are in our geography? Like all day long, you could see that line. And even when it started to be like freezing rain and snow north of us, I mean, there's that line. You're like, there's the fall line. There it is. And it stayed like rain, rain, rain. So I was like looking because I in Myrtle Beach was under like a winter storm watch. So at one point I looked at the beach and it was snowing at my beach house, but raining here. Wow. I know. But around about 10 o'clock, right when they said Will and I stayed up as late to watch it, right around 10, it, well, a little before that it started, you could hear that it was ice and then just like clockwork, there was the snow. And it was so much fun because it was like 1030 at night and we were outside and it was snowing and you could hear kids in the neighborhood because, you know, look, we stay up because we're like, really want to see it. (laughs) So the kids in the neighborhood were up and like all over Instagram, people had posted pictures of their kids like at 11 p.m. because we stayed up, buddy. (laughs) We knew it was coming. And then I woke up the next day and it was still on the ground. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. We had about an inch, like I said. I mean, it didn't stick to any of the pavement because it just, the pavement wasn't cold enough, but it stuck to the grass. It stuck to the roof for a little while. And then it was gone. I got my snow fix. That's all I needed. That was it. Good times. So after our recording last week, I'm really obsessed with scallops. I don't know if you saw this on my Instagram. I didn't. I'm really obsessed with scallops and they're nowhere now. Like Whole Foods doesn't have them anymore and they haven't been at the Costco by me. So I called Costco and asked if they had any of the frozen scallops anywhere near me. And the closest one was an hour away. So I drove in that snowy, icy situation. I realized I hadn't driven in snow. I I didn't know. I was like, can the car drive? Like, is it okay to drive? So I drove an hour and then I, I bought all the scallops like $700 worth of scallops because I have a chest freezer. So I had to stock up because I think they're going to be gone for good. So I got stuck up for like, I don't know. From Costco? Yeah. Have you ever had them, the frozen scallops? I don't like scallops. Oh, right, right. I don't know. I called Costco and they said they were deleting them from the system. He said, there's 71 bags at this one an hour from you. It's like, I'm going in the snow. Now that person who came right after you who was needing some scallops was really sad. (laughs) They should have called sooner. That's all I'm saying. So, but it's just funny because I was driving and I was like, can the car, I mean, I guess it's fine. I was looking around. I was like, other cars are driving, right? It all depends on what the pavement's doing. I mean, cars are fine. Okay. Like I grew up in Virginia. We didn't do anything special with our car other than like you had special tires that you, like your snow tires or like chains. Like, will the car slide? That would be, if, you know, if the pavement was icy. Okay. But then I was thinking like, well... There's always snow in Colorado and they're driving around. Well, see, but a lot of them have snow tires, which are, you know, designed different. You put different tires on in the winter. Like that's, that was true. And we also had chains. Like I remember you would put chains on your tires. I don't know if they still do that, but this was like the 70s, 80s. We had snow chains and the chains helped you get traction. And I remember when it would snow, we would hear people going down the road because we lived in the mountains and you could hear like the sound of the chains on the cars and you did. <laughs> I was really excited because my car does have a snow button, like a, a physical button that says sport. I don't know what the sport is for. Sport and snow. I was like, I'm going to use this button. Awesome. My car warns me if it's cold. So that's good. 
Nice. Nice, nice. So tell me your your good news. I had to I had to talk about the snow before I forgot, but tell me about your other news. I'm excited to hear. So I had two moments last week that have really just been a sign of how far I feel like my other show has come. So the first one was I was listening to Rich Roll and he had on this guy who wrote a book called The Proof is in the Plants. And I love the interview. I was like, I got to interview this guy. And so I wrote him down on my list of people to interview. But the thing is, I have this really long list of people I'd like to reach out to, but I don't actually really reach out to them because I'm so booked out. And, and it's at the point where like, people come to me. And so I, I book people that come to me, but I, I'm not actively trying to book people is the point. That's just like me for intermittent fasting stories. They're just, there's so many people waiting. I have to put them off, which is sad. On a rare occasion, I'll know a book is coming out and I'll be like, I got to get this person. But usually I just don't. So, but this guy's like in the vegan world. So he's not, I mean that, I feel like I said that with an attitude. I'm, you know, my audience is not hardcore vegan. So there's not much of an overlap. He commented on my Instagram I had a post up about cholesterol from a guest. He said, I have a different perspective. I would love to come on your show. Oh, that's awesome. The universe connecting you. I was so excited. So he's booked. Isn't that exciting? It is. You know, I actually had a, a week that was pretty exciting for me. I didn't share on Wednesday. I got to interview my two scientist heroes on the same day. Oh, wait, let me guess. Tim Spector. Yep. We did a webinar together in my community. It wasn't really an interview so much as, I mean, we, you know, we talked, but we were face-to-face on, on the Zoom webinar for the community. But who's the other one? Bert Herring? Nope. What does it start with the initials? M. Mark Matson. Yes. That's what I was going to say, but I couldn't remember his name. Yep. Mark Matson. Can I tell you, you will get this because you use the same kind of booking software that I do where people like go into a calendar link and book it? Yes. Well, I got a message from... <laughs> Mark Matson, and for anyone who isn't can't place him, he's the guy who wrote that New England Journal of Medicine article that came out in 2019 that like everyone went crazy over, and suddenly people were wanting to do intermittent fasting for the health benefits. That's Mark Matson, so he is like a superstar in the the medical world. He's you know works at Johns Hopkins and neurological work. That's his specialty. He's been doing intermittent fasting since the 80s, so he has a book that's coming out in February. Yep. I actually have a copy of it, an early copy of it right here. It's called The Intermittent Fasting Revolution, The Science of Optimizing Health and Enhancing Performance. So anybody who really wants to dig deep into the science, you want to read read his new book because it's super duper digging into the science. Like sounds like the New England Journal of Medicine article. Anyway, so his his publicist had reached out to me and you know about being on the podcast, I'm like, sure, here's the link. I'd love it. And that made me super excited because, you know, like people have been saying I should have him on for a long time. He's been doing intermittent fasting personally since the 80s. But I just, I was like, well, if it happens, it happens. But then they reached out to me. So the morning on Wednesday, I was out driving around with Will and I got an email from Mark Matson that was like, could you send me the link for the recording? And I'm like, I would love to first, you know, go ahead and sign up for a time. He's like, are we not doing it at 9 a.m. today? And I'm like, well, what? Apparently, he had gone in and chosen the date, but it didn't save or maybe, I don't know, but he wrote it on his calendar. Oh, he thought he booked it. But it hadn't booked. 
fully. So I don't know if there was a glitch or if he hadn't fought, you know, pressed that one final button to confirm it. I have no idea. But I was like, okay, Mark Madsen thinks I'm a flake. Wait, so it was before 9 a.m. or after 9 a.m.? Well, he sent the first message right at 9. And then I replied. And then at like 9.07, he's like, I thought we were recording at 9. Fortunately, we were able to do it at 10.30. I like booked myself back home (laughs) as fast as I could. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I promise I'm not flaky. But it was a great interview. And I don't know what happened because that's never happened. I've never had anyone say, I booked and it didn't. I've had that but I'm always booking like six months out. <laughs> so, so it's not a problem. <laughs> like I remember thinking I'm surprised he hasn't booked yet. I need to reach back out to him, but I was giving him time, you know, to book it. But apparently he had. So anyway, huh. but both of them were the same day. And so that was very exciting. And I was like so tired. I was supposed to record life lessons with Sherry at three. And she was like, do you just want to do that tomorrow? I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> One per day for me, one per day. I had two for the day, and that was, you know, a lot. But then when I had that third one pop in with Dr. Matson, and then the stress of that, and then I started thinking, you know, I used to teach all day long. I was in front of kids all day, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't as intense. Was there something else you wanted to share, and I just interrupted your exciting share with my other share? These are all related. These these are the stories of how far we've come. So I have two more. So also last week, there was a guest that I actually, before I launched the show, that's when I was trying to book guests for the show. And there was a guest that I tried to book. And this guest, their team said that they declined, which completely makes sense because when you're not a show yet, you know, it's hard to know if it's going to be a show worth going on. And this is kind of a high profile guest. This high profile guest now wants to come on my show. Well, that's good. Is it the one I know about? Mm -hmm. But what's funny is I remember when they declined, you know, two years ago or three years ago, whenever that was, I was like, someday, someday they're going to want to come on my show. So I'm very, very excited about that. That is very exciting. Exactly. Yes. The third thing that you and I were just talking about was I just emailed one of the guests that I've had on my show asking for an intro to somebody I would die to have on my show. And it was really funny because I didn't realize they are not on speaking terms. So that was a really funny moment and also just goes to show how far we've come, the people we're um, interacting with. So, And I don't take a minute of it for granted as I know you don't either, right? I know. It's just so... Wonderful. I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to feel like this forever. Like, I feel like I'm going to be like the starry eyed fangirl. Like, what is happening? Like, in a decade still. Oh, I know. That's how I felt with Mark Matson. I'm like, it's Mark Matson. And I was like, I don't know if you're familiar with my book, Fast Feast Repeat. And he's like, yes, I've seen it. I'm like, ah! <laughs> and then Tim Spector, the fact that he agreed. The, the first thing that was super exciting for me is when I was on Instagram, I mean, this is a couple years ago, maybe, and I looked, maybe, I don't know, just over a year ago, Tim Spector, I went to look at his page and it said, follow back. That was so exciting. And, you know, now I'm pretty sure it was probably his team. I don't know if he was, <laughs> now I understand a little bit more. Like on Instagram, I am pretty much, it's just me. I don't have a team doing anything with Instagram, but I know he probably does. It was very exciting. And then now that he knows who I am, I mean, he, I looked back, I actually read his book, his first book. I read it in 2015. 
It's like I've known who he was since 2015, and he was shaping my thinking. I mean, you know, like Rob Wolf, 2012 is when I read his book. I guess Rob's book, The Paleo Solution, is what catapulted me into paleo. But what really catapulted me into low carb was Good Calories, Bad Calories by Gary Topps. And that was 20, I read that in like 2010. Yeah, it was a while ago. I read that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. The whole idea that it wasn't just calories in, calories out. That was what was astonishing. Now, I don't agree with his whole, you know, carbs are bad manifesto, but it helped me to understand you know, the very the baby beginnings of, oh, insulin, oh, hormones. Oh, it's not just counting. And it's such a dense book. I haven't read that one in, I don't know, it's been a while. I remember I pulled it out when I interviewed him and it like all my notes were in it still and like highlights. I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a moment. One little thing I just want to throw out there for listeners. Listeners, I'm thinking this is just the baby, baby beginning. I just started doing calls about it, but I'm thinking of making an EMF blocking product. Let me know if this is of interest and what you would want. That's very cool. I'm pretending EMFs don't exist right now because I'm so like bewildered about what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm like, la, la, la. Like I didn't bring it up in cleanish because I was like, I have no idea how I would even address this topic. So I'm going to pretend it isn't, it isn't real <laughs> because I don't want to think about it. I don't. Anyway. Oh, I'll have to one more funny thing to share in a minute. Go ahead with your EMF. The thing I really want to make, I want to make like a night slip like that I sleep in. Kind of like kind of like Victoria's Secret, but like EMF blocking. But I did poll in my audience to see what people would want. The top ones were headphones. And you know when you put your phone on your nightstand at night? Like something that you would put on your phone so that you could have your phone on your nightstand at night, but it would be like protected. Oh, that's a good idea. I've started to have a hunch that perhaps some of my sleep issues that I claimed were wine slash menopause might have to do with when we moved in 2019 because our bedroom is on the corner of the house where the electric meter is. It's right like like I sleep 10 feet from our electric meter. Yeah. A smart meter? Yeah. No bueno. Well, <laughs> it's where the master bedroom is. <laughs> I need a cage. I don't know. But I'm I'm like, because I sleep so much better at the beach. I'm like, hmm. Anyway. You could get one of the canopies. We'll see. I don't know. If you do, you need to get it properly installed. Because I think I think I told you I, I put mine up and then I read that if it's not properly installed, it'll just make things worse. So I took mine down. Well, we're energy beings. So if we have energy disrupted, I mean, you know, it, it all makes sense, but I don't understand the ins and outs of it enough to really like, that's why I didn't put it in the book because I was like, I just can't go down that road yet. I'm not ready. So R blank is who I had on the show. Well, I've had on Dr. Mercola and R blank, and I'll put links to both of those in the show notes, but R is the one that I've been doing calls with and you would love him. He's so science-minded. I think he taught engineering at USC, actually, I think. But his dad was really big in the like the science of EMF world, I think. But he's so science-driven. So like in the call, we had the call because the biggest request I got was for jewelry. And so I was like, can we make jewelry? And he was like, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> I was like, no, I want it to. Yeah. So he knows. He knows. So can I tell you a funny story? Yes. So 
Jason Fung, he and I have never actually spoken to each other or like back and forth. I know you've had him on your show, but he's now with our same agent. Did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't know that. So they're trying to connect us to do something like an Instagram live, he and I together or something, something together. And his publicist or somebody was like, you know, I'm working on, you know, getting a date when we can do this, but, you know, can I send you his book? So if if someone said, could I send you his book, would you assume he had a new book coming out? Well, I did. I assumed he had a new book coming out, you know, and I'm like, sure, send it to me. I thought he might have a new book. They sent me the obesity code. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Like I read that in 2016 when it, I pre-ordered it. I mean, that's what's so funny. I, I pre-ordered it. They thought I might not have read it. But I was like, oh, anyway, that was just funny because I've been talking about it since I read it, like to anyone who would listen. And that was before I even had, you know, <laughs> like it's recommended reading in both of my books that anyway. He's had a few books. He has. He has. But I just assumed he was working on a new one and they were going to send me that. Like, And then it came and I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And I opened it and it was the obesity code. I'm like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> Now I have an extra copy of it because i that's one I have on Kindle and the paperback, and now I have another one. Anyway. Yeah. I had him on for the cancer code. Right. That was a really, really good – I actually really liked that because, I mean, I would like to talk more about fasting with him, but it was it was really nice to not talk about fasting with him. You know, like an entire different topic, and I hadn't done an episode on cancer. So, Yeah. Well, anyway, I just thought that was funny. I had to share that. <laughs> he and I might be doing an Instagram Live at some point. Our schedules are hard to sync. Yeah, you've done Instagram Lives. I don't like to do them. I don't like to do – I don't know why. I don't either, actually. I feel it's because we've talked about this before. I feel like Instagram is like some place I don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do a live. One time someone asked me to do an Instagram Live on their page, and I thought they were just going to be interviewing me, but I had to like do it all by myself. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why did I agree to this? I'm like talking straight into the camera. That's just not, I don't like that. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. Okay. Shall we answer some listener questions for today? Yes. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Christy. The subject is, is diabetes a circadian disorder? And Christy says, hi, ladies. Y'all are awesome. Amazing. I took a dental sleep medicine course this week. The MD presented that diabetes could be a circadian disorder. Physiologically, based on hormones, the best time of day to eat is when the sun is shining. For instance, shift workers eating at night instead of eating during the day have a higher incidence of diabetes. Of course, this is not taking into account IF. I just thought it was interesting and a great conversation starter. Thanks for all y'all do. Christy in Arkansas. You know, I just, I find that to be so interesting. You know, the shift work, we do know that shift workers do have a lot of circadian disturbances. And that, you know, does often show an increased weight. You know, she said there are increased incidence of diabetes, but there's so much more to it than just, you know, that they're eating. You know, we aren't supposed to be awake all night either. So, Sleep disturbances, forget about the eating. Let's just take that completely out of the out of the equation. People who have bad sleep, poor sleep in general, tend to have also higher instances. I, I just don't know that we can untangle, oh, it's because they're eating at night. 
I mean, that that could be a factor, there, but there's so many factors at play. It's just not natural. I don't think it's natural. I would just come right out and say that physiologically, based on hormones, we aren't supposed to eat for 16 hours a day. And I think that that's more to go along with it because now we're eating from early in the morning, early, early to late, late, late at night. And that's not natural. So it's really hard to untangle all the factors, but I would still love to see a study. We haven't, we haven't got one yet. There's a lot of theory. You know, we like to take theories and, and make blanket statements using them. I mean, we all do it. We like to find patterns. We like to make connections. But we still don't have a really good quality study that compared eating windows, all else being equal, the only thing being timing of the eating, to see exactly what happens hormonally. You know, we draw a lot of conclusions based on by the end of the day, our hormonal response is not as good, but that's in a paradigm of eating all day. So it's hard to to disconnect the paradigm of eating all day versus only eating during this period of time. And again, overnight is very different because you know you're not in sync with with your normal circadian rhythm. So yeah, that was a whole lot of me saying that's an interesting question. And it's really hard to know exactly what is the root cause and the the exact, you know, this is the one thing when really it's likely to be a combination of factors. Can I just say, Wednesday, when I was talking to all my science heroes, I love talking to hard scientists because they are so not likely to make blanket statements. Tim Spector at one point is like, yeah, a lot of people say that. We don't really know it. We just say it. I'm like, that is so cool <laughs> to hear a scientist say that. Instead of like, yeah, we know everything there is to know about that. And let me tell you all the answers. Instead, he's like, that's a theory. We don't really know. We're still figuring it out. That made me happy to hear. I could not agree more with everything that you said. So many things. The first thing, so the first thing that you were saying, Jen, about, you know, there's so many factors involved and it's not just the eating with the shift workers. So like melatonin alone is probably going to be drastically affected in shift work. And I have had on Dr. John Lawrence on my show. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And he talks all about the role of melatonin, not really related to sleep so much as it being like the master antioxidant in our body and all of these overwhelming effects it has. And when you're not getting melatonin production appropriately, that it can be a, a huge problem. It's really actually very mind-blowing. It's not just a sleep hormone, basically. And so like that would be super messed up with, or probably is messed up with shift workers. I actually have a really funny story, Jen. So he promotes high-dose melatonin, and he actually has a melatonin suppository. Interestingly enough, I interviewed Cynthia Thurlow yesterday, and the topic of melatonin came up, and she was just going on and on about how incredible the his melatonin suppositories are. And I actually have some in my fridge and I haven't tried them. If listeners would like to try them, they're called Sandman and I'll put a link with a discount code in the show notes. Something that I did do recently, this is so funny. I, When I had COVID, I was taking melatonin. That's actually recommended to take more for its benefits. So I was taking melatonin and it's the same brand as a brand of digestive enzymes that I take, same bottle. Like it looks the exact same. The pills look the exact same. I take a lot of digestive enzymes. So I was eating and I thought I was using the digestive enzymes. And then the next day I looked at my melatonin bottle and it was like half empty. 
So I had taken over a hundred grams of melatonin, <laughs> which I felt really good the next day. <laughs> the high dose, the Sandman melatonin suppository that he has, I'm pretty sure is like a hundred and something grams. But I just thought it was funny that I accidentally high dosed myself with melatonin. Hi friends. One of my favorite foods for gut health, skin, cravings, energy, and immunity is definitely bone broth. I and so many of my listeners love bone broth, but it can also be intimidating because it can be hard to find a bone broth that is all natural, organic, free of preservatives, and especially no salt added. Of course, you can always make your own, which I love, but that can be a little bit of a cumbersome process. That's why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty and the Broth. They make it so, so easy to bring bone broth into your life because they ship it in concentrated form in shelf-stable packets. It's easy to store, doesn't take up space, you don't have to worry about keeping it frozen, and then when you reconstitute it with water, you can customize it exactly to your tastes. It is incredible. Beauty and the Broth makes delicious bone broth from vegetarian-fed, free-range chicken bones, and USDA organic, grass-fed, ranch-raised beef. The meat and bones come from certified humane and USDA organic farms, no antibiotics, no hormones. They also use organic vegetables and powerful herbs that are so delicious, all without any added salt or sodium. A lot of the broths on the market are also kettle or pressure cooked, which breaks down ingredient nutrients and reduces their integrity and potency. Beauty and the Broth doesn't do that. They let all of those amazing ingredients slowly simmer for up to 24 hours to create a broth that is super high in naturally occurring collagen and nutrients. Your gut will thank you, I promise. We often get questions about the best way to open your eating window. This is an incredible way to do that. Especially when you're in the fasted state, your gut is super ready to absorb these nutrients and bone broth contains the specific nutrients needed to heal your gut, help with leaky gut, support digestion, and so much more. And when it's cold in the winter months, what tastes better than a warm cup of bone broth? You will notice it in your nails, in your gut health, in your hair, in your improved recovery, increased energy. And did I mention it's so convenient and so easy to use. They've also got a vegan mushroom broth, which is super rich in umami and delicious for all of you vegans out there. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash broth and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 15% off site-wide. That's melanieavalon.com slash broth with the coupon code melanieavalon for 15% off site-wide. Friends, if you've been wanting to get on the bone broth train, this is the way to do it. Definitely check it out. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. I wonder why it makes me feel hungover. And I was really thinking about like the placebo effect. And I was thinking, I wonder how much people feeling groggy from melatonin is placebo. Well, I wasn't expecting to feel groggy from it. I didn't even know people said they felt groggy. All I ever hear is people talking about how amazing it is. So the fact that I felt hungover was just not, I didn't know that that happened. Because <laughs> I haven't really studied melatonin much. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, because the thing I was thinking about was, I was like, I wasn't tired at all. And I took so much. Benadryl also makes me not sleep. So, oh yeah, right. Yeah. And Benadryl knocks me out. I've got that weird brain chemistry. So in any case, the point of that is that the melatonin aspect alone, after reading John Lawrence's book, it's called Melatonin, the Miracle Molecule. That alone would be a huge thing for shift workers. And then something I wanted to speak to as well. So the actual studies, I'm really excited. I was going to post this blog post already, 
The reason I have not is because, so I was on the cover of Biohackers Magazine in December. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to get that issue. It has an interview with me and lots of fun stuff. The next issue that's coming out, they asked if I wanted to write any content for it. So I decided to, before posting this on my blog, to put it in that magazine. So you'll be able to get it in that magazine when it comes out, which I'm not sure when. It might be out by the time this is out. If so, I'll put a link to it. It will eventually be on my blog and the link will be melanieavalon.com slash eating timing. And actually, if you go to that link, there'll be a link to the Biohackers magazine. But in any case, the blog post is called early versus late night eating, contradictions, confusions, and clarity. And I, friends, did so much research, uh, months and months. And I went and actually read all the studies and I nitpicked and I tried to really find what was going on with all of this. And one of the sentences I wrote, it's basically what Jen just said. There are not well-controlled studies directly comparing an early eating window to a night eating window. And what they do, and Jim was talking about this oftentimes, is they'll have the majority in the evening or the majority in the morning. And while you might think that can tell you something, it might actually tell you nothing. So the thing that I wrote, I'm just going to read it because it sounds it's similar to what Jen said. I said, perhaps most importantly, can we realistically draw any conclusions from late night eaters correlating to health issues when the majority of these late night eaters were likely also eating throughout the day? Simply skewing the majority of the calorie intake to earlier versus later in the day may have drastically different implications than only eating earlier, only eating late. It's a huge hurdle in evaluating the studies because the former those who eat throughout the day but with the majority at night may seem searingly relevant in their implications about meal timing when in reality it may bear little if any relevance it may be that fasting throughout the day and then eating only in the evening reduces if not eradicates all the issues of eating later when you're also eating earlier unfortunately it's hard to know is there are a few studies directly comparing early versus late night eating yeah and i also am 100% of the mindset that we are not all the same when it comes to that. I don't think that just like the whole glycemic index is a lie because it's based on an average. I think that even if they said, here's the perfect time for everybody to eat because we averaged everybody together and this is the best time average, that would also be a lie. It would be like saying if we averaged all women's height together and said, all right, the average height for a woman is, I don't know what, five, five, I'm making that up. So if you're a woman, you're 5'5", five five because we're not average. There, there are people that I know, like you, Melanie, who like to stay up really late because that's how your body feels the best. You know, I could write a book all about how you're supposed to wake up at 5.30 in the morning because then you'll be like super productive and feel your best and you should go to bed at 8.30. And I could say, I feel tired every night at 8.30, so that means you should too. And I would be wrong. And we're also very different with our circadian you know, what feels right and what our body likes to do. Exactly. And even her question, she's saying, is diabetes a circadian disorder? Like it could be. It's not necessarily the eating late version of that is the disorder. It might more be the individual person and what their hormones are, their natural rhythms, and if they're living in accordance with that or not. Interestingly, so one of the studies I discuss in my article 
it was a 2021 nutrient study and it was called beneficial effects of early time restricted feeding on metabolic diseases, importance of aligning food habits with a circadian clock. And it was, it was a bit frustrating to read because it dives deep. It was a really excellent overview of basically every single hormone when it's released and what that meant about when you should eat. Just reading it objectively, the takeaway I took, and I think I will briefly go through the example of the hormones, but after I looked at what they said, the data, honestly, the best window seemed to be between, I concluded, probably 4 to 7 p.m. For your eating window? That is very similar to what I do. But their agenda is so clearly for early eating that they conclude the opposite, but like, not the opposite. They conclude that you should eat in the morning. So the examples... I'll just go through briefly. And again, read this whole article if you are interested because it goes in deep. Here's what they said and why I interpret it that way. And Jen, you can let me know if you agree with my interpretation. It, it's a really fun game. So like they, they, say, they say that the hormone, like when it peaks, and then I said like just based on that one hormone when I would eat. And that's how I came up with the window that I thought was best. Okay. So the first hormone is cortisol. So that's a catabolic hormone it breaks down muscle. So a catabolic hormone often associated with the fasted state, and it encourages the release of all fuel substrates into the bloodstream, fatty acids, glucose, and amino acids. So that's what cortisol does in relation to eating or not eating. It peaks in the early morning, right? So I would want my body to be breaking things down in my body and not eating. Yeah. That was my my takeaway. Like you don't want to be eating when you're you're already releasing fuel from yourself. So I would not want to eat in the early morning with cortisol. Okay. So then adiponectin, that's a hormone which promotes fat burning and carbs. It correlates to eating disinhibition. So not being hungry. Right. But interestingly, not eating restraint or hunger. So it's kind of nebulous. So it has mixed eating behaviors. And this is really interesting. So it can have different roles, but it's actually secreted basically all day from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. It peaks at 11 a.m. Between 8 and 4, though, specifically, so 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., that's when it's also produced with a hormone called FGF21. And together, they're produced and they promote fatty acid oxidation, glycolysis, and they actually inhibit fat accumulation. So that one's kind of confusing, but my takeaway was it's always going, but you're in a more fatty acid burning state from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., which doesn't speak to me that you should be eating earlier because that's an earlier window. Oh, oh, here's, here's the second part. So the nuance of it is that it can actually be catabolic or anabolic, and it has to do with whether or not insulin is involved. If you're low insulin, it's catabolic, and if you're high insulin, it's anabolic? Yes. Another reason to keep your insulin low during the fast. So natural insulin secretion occurs from 2 to 6 p.m. and peaks from 4 to 5 p.m. So my takeaway from that was that like 2 to 6 p.m. would be a good time to eat. And then also the hunger hormone ghrelin, which makes us hungry, peaks at 6 p.m. So that said to me that perhaps a perfect time to eat is around 6 p.m. Well, all that is hilarious because my body told me that I feel my very, very best if I open my window around 4 and I'm finishing my dinner sometime just around after 7. Yeah. This is so great because this is literally the window that I you know, came up with. So ghrelin, it's higher at noon than at 8 a.m. and it peaks later. 
you know, so basically around that like afternoon to, you know, early evening was really the takeaway that I got. And then, so one other hormone is leptin, which makes us feel full. And it actually peaks at, it begins to rise at four and peaks at seven. Love it. Thank you, body, for already knowing that. Yeah. Okay. So to recap, the hormones in general just seem primed for us to eat late afternoon, maybe even a little bit later, like four up until six or seven. That's what my takeaway. They concluded like the complete opposite, that early eating was better. I don't even, they just, I don't really know how they did. I have another question. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking back to the glycemic index example when they were like, yep, this is the glycemic index of potatoes because they averaged everybody's response together and then came up with that. I wonder if we all have different pulses of when these hormones peak. Also, like when they're like, all right, it's at it's, you know, whatever between four and seven, maybe that's the average and yours peaks between nine and 11 and somebody else theirs might peak in the morning. And like, I know people who a morning window is what feels best for them. And they they feel great with their morning window. And I wonder if their hormones do different things than mine do. I would guess so. I think the shift might be the same. So like the patterns of like, what is the terminology for it? So like in comparison to each other, like what we just discussed with the different hormones, like cortisol being earlier and then later ghrelin and insulin, like that will pro- might be similar, but the actual times would be different. Yeah. Like the, the way that it... it goes one after the other in that time sequence. Yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, just like just like with the whole, um, you know, normal curve that we have, the normal distribution curve, there's people that are exactly average right in the middle. Maybe I am just a lucky average right in the middle. And so my average is the same as what that article discussed. But somebody else might be shifted to the, the left side of that and someone else is on the right side. You know, you're on the right. <laughs> you're in the later part of the day versus there are people that are on the left extreme where feel better in the morning part of the day. Can I read you this one part? This is where I was like, I just, I don't know what to do with this because they talk about when the different hormones are released and then they literally just, they draw the conclusion on the hormone based on what they want it to be, which is an early window. So when they're talking about insulin, first they say it was based on the timing of I think the the window they wanted to promote, they say the consumption of food should not occur during the insulin peak because it induces fat storage. So first they say we shouldn't eat when insulin is high because it'll induce fat storage. I could talk about how that doesn't make much sense to me because I think insulin is the storage hormone. So we probably should be eating when it's high. <laughs> like the reason we're eating. That's its purpose. The reason it's high is because that's when your body is dealing with food. What are you going to do? Are you not going to store food when you eat it? (laughs) But then, but then later they talk about insulin levels at night and they talk about how insulin levels are low. And they say that you shouldn't eat when insulin is low because it says, quote, if glucose consumption occurs during the evening, the body will not be able to process it properly because of the low insulin. So, (laughs) so basically, um, They literally draw the exact opposite conclusion about insulin. And it all goes down to this. What feels good to you? Do that. 
if I try to do the wrong thing, if I try to eat at a time that doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel good. Well, and then to that point, what's actually really interesting is at least one, maybe two of the studies, they talked about how they were looking at these late night eating windows and that the the people would be full. Okay. I, I think it was two different studies or they might've been overlapping, but in one of the cases, they wanted to make the calories equal. So they had to, for the late night eating window, they had to make it like really processed. Like they had to make it high calorie in order to make sure that they ate enough. And then in another study, they literally said that people would not have eaten all of it if they hadn't been forced to eat all of it. They force fed people food that was <laughs> they didn't want to eat. They were looking at a, um, a shortened eating window at night. And so the irony of it is in that study, at the end, they talk about how the window probably only, like that the benefits might require calorie restriction, but in the study, they force the people to eat more than they wanted. And so I was saying that when people like follow uh, intermittent fasting pattern in their natural day-to-day life, they're probably naturally going to eat less, you know, because in the studies, they're forced to eat more. So in any case, it's definitely very individual. It really is. And, you know, it's why I will never tell you what is, quote, the best time to eat. I just, I genuinely think you've got to find that for yourself. Like if I did exactly what you did, Melanie, I would not feel my best. And you would not feel your best doing exactly what I do. And that doesn't mean what you're doing is wrong or what I'm doing is wrong. I mean, we've been doing this a long time. (laughs) If it was not sustainable, we wouldn't be able to sustain it. Exactly. So hopefully that was helpful. Do we have time for one more? I think we have time for this next one. Alrighty. Okay. This is from Mary Ellen and the subject is organic cheese. She says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I feel like a stalker because this is the third question I have submitted, but instead I'll coin Melanie's term fangirl and go with that. Now, if you show up on my doorstep, Melanie, that would be stalkers. (laughs) Sending in lots of questions. We love that. Mary Ellen, you mean? What did I say? You said me. Oh, I meant Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen. (laughs) I'm going to show up at your door. Well, you could show up at my door anytime. Well, likewise. Actually, just let me know. I'm a planner. I would actually not do well. Okay. I like, yeah, that's true. I like planning too. So yeah, I met Mary Ellen. She said, my last question was regarding celery powder, and I thank you for your timely in-depth response. I am 50 years old and have been following IF for a few years. I had mentioned previously that I had a concerning colonoscopy and am reducing my meat intake and removing bacon and processed meats from my diet. I have also decided to follow Melanie's advice and Jen's advice in Cleanish to remove vegetable oil and canola oil from my diet when possible. In my quest to improve my colon health, I am trialing no dairy. I have had lifelong issues with constipation, hence my first question about a year ago regarding magnesium supplements. I plan to be dairy-free for a few months to see if my bowel habits improve. My question is, when I reintroduce dairy into my diet, are there some cheeses that are healthier than others? For example, is ricotta less inflammatory than cheddar, or should I be okay as long as I buy organic cheeses only? Cheese is one of my favorite foods, and although I will reduce the amount I eat overall after my test, I plan to take a clean-ish approach. Life is too short to never eat pizza. Thank you again, Mary Ellen. All right, Mary Ellen, thank you so much for your question. This is a wonderful question, which kind of has an answer. I feel similar to this, the question we just did and that it's very individual as far as 
the inflammatory potential of cheese, I think. This is very timely because I just finished reading a book, somebody I'm going to have on the show. His name is Bill Schindler. He's been on a lot of like National Geographic crazy stuff. I don't even know what the shows are that he was on, but um, really intense, like living like a caveman type stuff. His book is called Eat Like a Human, Nourishing Foods and Ancient Ways of Cooking to Revolutionize Your Health. This book blew my mind. He talks about the historical things that we ate as hunter-gatherers and in our evolution. And he's all about eating, eating like a human. And so he talks about like eating nose to tail and like insect protein and soil and just so many things. Um, but he has a whole section on dairy. And the reason I bring this up is I'm going to share his opinion, but there are so many different opinions on dairy. So I'll tell you what he says, but then other people are going to say something completely different. So for dairy, I really think you'd have to find just what works for you. Jen, do you know the history of why raw milk is considered to be so problematic? I can't tell you the ins and outs, but it's, yeah, it's a little bit maddening because anyway. Yeah. So he talks about this in the book. So the regulations on raw milk started in the 1920s. Prior to that, there were dairies next to distilleries to maximize profits, and they would actually feed the cows this grain swill mash stuff that was created from the alcohol production. And so it led to really disgusting milk from these cows. And then they would doctor up the milk with, I'm not making this up, things like molasses, plaster of Paris, animal brains and probably some other things. So they would make it look all pretty, and then they would sell it as country fresh milk. And this led to the sickening and killing of thousands of people. There were 8,000 deaths, and it was mostly children that were dying from it. And so then regulations started in the 1920s, and milk had to be pasteurized, and raw milk was banned. The thing is, actual raw milk, like that's not coming from alcohol grain fed cows with plaster of paris and brains in it <laughs> between 1993 and 2012 so almost 10 years i don't take hospitalizations lightly but there was only 144 hospitalizations in a decade from raw milk i mean we've had more hospitalizations from spinach right or like iceberg lettuce yeah I don't know, those 144 individual cases, I don't know. I would guess that maybe a handful of them probably wasn't even entirely entirely the raw milk, you know? And, and these aren't deaths. These are hospitalizations. It makes me wonder, though, how much of it is because people just don't have access to it. Like, I've only had raw milk when I was a little girl and grew up and some friends had a dairy farm, so I had it there. But I can't buy it in my state. Like, I can't, we can't buy it. So... I don't know. That's just a factor. I am not anti-raw milk, and I wish I could buy it. I'd be buying it all day long. But (laughs) that's just a variable. I wrote that down. I'm going to talk to him about that. That's a really good point. But I would 100% buy raw milk if I could. Yeah. It's just a little bit like you're talking about being political. So the CDC, they actually say that raw milk is one of the riskiest like health things that there is. There's our rests, and like there's been fines and loss of family farms. And so- But in any case, he's a huge, huge fan of raw milk because it has all of the enzymes. So people who have like issues with milk, it has all of the enzymes in it naturally needed to 
help it digest properly in our system. Because when it's pasteurized, it kills all those enzymes. Pasteurization also kills the bacteria that can have a really beneficial effect potentially on our gut. So he advocates out of like, what are the best milks to buy? And this is milk, I I realize, but this would extend to dairy as well. He says, number one, high quality raw from a small dairy farm, but don't buy if you don't know the source. So it's really, really important to know the farm that it's coming from. And then two, low temperature, non-homogenized organic from a small dairy. Three, pasteurized, non-homogenized organic whole milk. Four, pasteurized, homogenized organic whole milk. And then for cheeses and stuff, he's all about, again, made from non-pasteurized and organic and made actually using the, it's called, is it rennet or Renee that's used to make it? I think it's rennet, but I could be wrong. In my head, I've always said rennet, which doesn't mean it's right. I'm not sure. So rennet, Renee, using that rather than a lot of cheeses now are very produced and they use things like citric acid. The he he's all for like the you know the original form. Also, I I don't know. I don't really see like cheese made from A2 milk, but that's the type of milk that is supposed to be less inflammatory because it's um like the original type of milk that we were originally drinking. Oh, another reason that pasteurization can create a problem. So casein is a type of protein in milk and cheese. When you pasteurize it, it actually denatures that protein. And so it can make that protein inflammatory and hard to digest. So if you are getting non-pasteurized milk and cheese, it's, you know, the potential that it will be less inflammatory. Another thing that can be inflammatory for people might be the lactose. So the sugar in the milk when you get it in its raw form and non-pasteurized, again, it has those enzymes in it naturally to help break that down. And or if it's fermented dairy, then the bacteria can actually ferment that lactose and convert that sugar into lactic acid. So people who have lactose intolerance can often have fermented cheese and dairy products. But all of that to say, that's his opinion. So he would be for like, raw cheeses, fermented, non-pasteurized. But then you could talk to somebody else. Like I'm reading Rick Johnson's new book right now called Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. He's actually all for dairy because he thinks it's not involved in the obesity spiking problems that we have from protein foods rich in umami, (laughs) that savory taste that we get. But he's all for actually like low-fat dairy, which would be the complete opposite of you know, what Bill Schindler is saying, you're going to get all different answers. And so as far as like what is less inflammatory, I don't think there's a blanket statement. If I were to make approaching a blanket statement, a lot of cheeses are pretty processed. Like you go to the store and if you actually look at the ingredients and it has all the stuff in it, I would stay away from that. I mean, that's in the spirit of Jen's book, Cleanish. So I think going closer to the source and not having those additives is probably going to be better. But you really can have to find what works for you. Another thing to keep in mind is some people have problems with FODMAPs. You can get my app, Food Sense Guide, melanieavalon.com slash Food Sense Guide. It will tell you the FODMAPs potential of all the different cheeses. I put so many cheeses in it, so that might be a helpful resource. For her question, should I be okay as long as I buy organic cheese? I would dive a little bit deeper. I would look at the cheese that you're eating and the ingredients and just see what works for you. And that was like all over the place. But Jen. Cheese is just so tricky as far as organic anyway. I just have to tell you, finding organic cheese is not easy. 
Like there are so many amazing cheeses out there that are not, they don't claim to be organic. I bet a lot of them probably are like, you know, some of the imported cheeses, but they don't, you know, they're not USDA certified because they're not American. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know. Cheese is just tricky. You know, if I said I'm only going to buy organic cheeses, I would be very limited to my cheese options. So I, I prioritize organic dairy, like organic cream. Yes, I can find that. And organic sour cream. Yes, I can find that. But, you know, if I'm looking for brie, you know, I don't have a store in Augusta with organic brie. I don't. So if I want to eat brie, I'm just buying the French brie. I try to stick with the ones that I feel like probably were made more traditionally, and that's probably from another country. So that's just a little something right there. Did you watch Michael Pollan's Cooked on Netflix, Melanie? Did you ever watch them? No. You should watch it. You would love it. There's only four episodes. You would love it. But there was one on one of them. I can't remember. I can never remember which one is which. But it's the one. Maybe it's Air, where they talk about fermented things. I can't remember. It's whichever one talks about. They talk about kombucha, I think. But they also talk about cheese. And there was a story that really sticks out to me. It was like a nun, and she was making cheese in a cave. And like they're like, that is not hygienic. You cannot make cave cheese. You're gonna have to like in a barrel. I mean, it was like. You know, it wasn't, quote, hygienic, right? So then they made her make it in, like, a kitchen in a stainless steel, whatever. But it, like, ruined the cheese. And it actually was, like, worse. (laughs) It spiked, like, the levels of whatever it was. Because it, anyway, so then she was ended up making it back in the cave. And the just because, you know, we we think that being germ-free and bacteria-free is what we want, but that's the opposite of what we want, really. We need those things. Like kids who are out playing in the dirt, correlationally, tend to be healthier than the kids that are in their hygienic hand sanitizer bubble. Exactly. There was a book called Eat Dirt. Do you remember that book? Is that Josh Axe? Maybe. You would like this Eat Like a Human book. I think. It's really interesting. I like things that are interesting. I learned so much. I do wonder about the uh, future of insect protein. Not interested. Yeah, I'm excited to um, talk to him about it. And I think he's a prof- is he a professor at a college? He talks about how he tried to like have insect protein at the college. They said no because I guess they said it wasn't according to the regulations. But then because it's technically what grass, what you know, generally recognized as safe, he was like, no, like we can have this. And so he set up like an insect food cart at the college, and it was very popular. <laughs> Like a taco thing or something. I'm I'm really excited to talk. Well, look, I don't even like scallops, so I'm definitely not going to eat insects. Sorry, unless they're like hidden in my food, because you know, like so many insects are in there anyway. You don't even know it. Here's a question for you. I've been doing a lot of research on pet food because I think I want to do a pet food brand. I'm doing all the things, Jen. Well, I love it. Live your best life. <laughs> you're so you're so young. You have so much time. I want to make all the things. <laughs> But so one of the trends I've been, because I've been doing a lot of market research and one of the projected trends actually is alternative ingredients in pet food and including insect protein. Like, would you buy that for your cat if it had insect protein or would your initial reaction that you just had of about insect protein, would that extend to your cat as well? Well, I have seen my cats eat bugs. So, I mean, that's probably what they're naturally eating. Like, I don't mind if chickens eat bugs because they're supposed to eat bugs. 
I'm not against bug eating. I just don't want to eat them myself. Like the only time, the only experience I have in my mind of like watching people eat bugs is always like if they're stranded in a really bad situation and they're like, I guess I'll eat these cockroaches because that's all there is. There's no model that I have in my mind of like, here's a delicious plate of bugs. And that's, you know, our society. So our culture, like I, I don't know of any positive bug experiences I have in my mind. I wonder if there ever will be a rebranding because, I mean, he talks about the the health benefits of like cricket protein. He talks about all different ones, but it's very impressive. Like it's very high protein. It's very high nutrient. It's very sustainable. Is there a point where I just get to say I'm old now? I'm not doing that. (laughs) Y'all do that. Young people. I'm just going to do this. That's where I feel with that. (laughs) But I don't think I'd mind with pet foods because it's different. You know, they... You know, my cat, I've seen Ellie eat an entire lizard, except for the head. Like, literally, like, ate the whole thing. There's the head still there. But, I mean, I'm not going to eat a lizard, but I'm sure people do, but I'm not going to. No, thank you. I read his book, and I so I would read all about the insect stuff. And then when I was doing the research, there was this whole section on how insect protein is projected to be a trend in the pet food industry. I have heard that. And by the way, I know lizards are not insects. That was two separate examples. People are like, does Jen think a lizard is an insect? No. <laughs> Although, let me tell you this funny thing. Will is here with his cat, Pepper, who's like nine months old. Pepper had something last night in the kitchen. And I'm like, oh, my God, is that a snake? What is that that he's got? It was a stick. This cat all day long has been bringing in sticks. Like we have a whole pile of sticks now next to the cat door. The cat is like out there catching sticks. And I'm like, oh, poor little baby. (laughs) Ellie brings in lizards. Uh, Listeners know this. Lucy will play with like a roach if one is in the house or something. There's Pepper. He's got his pile of sticks. I'm like, okie dokie. He's actually a very smart cat, but it's just funny. Is he a kitten still? He's nine months old. I'm bad with evaluating like how big a cat is at, at a certain age. He's pretty big. Will's had him since he was tiny. He Will adopted him really early, but now he's um, he didn't know how to be with other cats, so we're having that problem because now he's living here with our cats, and they're you know he doesn't know how to be a cat friend. My tip for anybody is now adopt two from the same litter if you can. So that'll teach them how to be, and they'll love each other because they literally, you know, came out together. But anyway, he's got his pile of sticks right there by the cat door, and it's so funny. That's so funny. It is, but yeah, good luck with the pet food. That sounds fun. Oh, thank you. There's so many things. I'm going to sell cat sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Would you make a product ever, you think? If you could, if you could, what would you? I actually have. I, have I ever talked about my teacher pocket chart? Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I, I had a company that made it and I brought it to, I mean, they, they did all the work. I was, <laughs> I just like intellectual property. I'm like, here, I designed this. Now you make it and sell it and send me my checks. That was what that was. So yeah, I had a teacher pocket chart. I didn't make very much. Like, like the biggest check I ever got was like 400 bucks. And I got the checks quarterly. So it was like, you know, I didn't make a lot of money from it, but it was really exciting. I don't know. I'm not going to say I would never have a product. I, I just don't, you know, I did, remember I did that merch for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a lot of work. You know, if something was wrong, I had to manage that. I didn't like that. I don't like doing customer service. That's why I realized I think, I think the thing that works for me is finding people already doing 
And then I'm like, I partner with them. And then I'm like, yeah, I come up with the idea and the branding and like, I oversee, you know, the creation, but then I'm not actually producing and shipping and customer service. I, I, oh, but customer service, I am on all, all the emails and like for my supplement, I, I do answer emails. I would do merch again because I thought that was fun. Like, you know, with some, you know, like Delay Don't Deny or, you know, whatever, some fasting stuff. I enjoyed designing those, you know, the graphic design of it and some of the images that I came up with I really liked. But the companies I was using at the time, you know, the print on demand with coffee mugs or T-shirts or whatever, you had to be very involved. They did part of it. But if there was a problem, you had to like, like if someone's coffee cup arrived broken, I don't have time to be dealing with that. So I've yet to find a company that really did that. That's nice with like my supplement, my Avalon X, Serapeptase. We haven't had barely any issues, but the issues that we have had, like I don't have to do any of that. And again, though, I'm just, I'm at this, the phase of my life where I'm more winding down. Like I remember there was something I saw one time. It was an article about women and when we should retire and start to like ease up a little bit on... I, I mean, I don't know that it's what the science was based on, but it stuck in my mind. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm close to that age now. And just, you know, I want to walk on the beach and I want to do the podcasts and I want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't know that I'm going to do lots more th- new things, if that makes sense. I feel like I'm probably going to be like this until, <laughs> until I'm not 90. Well, it, it, it's interesting to see because I remember... There was a period of time when I was teaching full-time, teaching the gifted endorsement classes two nights a week after school that I stayed after school to teach, and teaching for two online universities, and starting to manage my Facebook support groups all at the same time. The question is, with the teaching, did it make you feel alive? It all did, yeah. And like, did you like have, like, want to just keep doing it like forever? Yeah, I loved doing it. And then one day I was like, I'm tired of doing this now. Okay. And, you know, because I was basically like, I mean, I look back and I'm like, how did I do all that? But I did. And the boys were still at home. But it really, it did energize me. Now I'm in a phase where I wonder if menopause has something to do with that, the hormones. But now I'm more like in a reflective phase where, where it's easier for me to pick and choose to let things go, if that makes sense. Like releasing things like I don't need to be amazing on Instagram and I don't really want to and that's okay or I don't need to have you know multiple new business streams whatever like simplifying like I feel like there might come a point and we'll have this conversation when you're 90 we can talk about because we'll both be alive because of intermittent fasting we'll be doing great (laughs) one day I bet you will want to slow down but you're way you know you've you've got decades before so I was listening to an, an interview on Ritual. They were talking about somebody else. I don't remember who it was, but she was this woman who just keeps on keeping on, like just is this vibe that I'm trying to articulate. And they were saying how she's 80 and she has like her 10-year plan right now of her next endeavors. I, like, I feel like that's me. Yep. Well, I mean, I just started a new business in the past year. My community, I started that business less than a year ago. And, you know, that was my pivot and, and that's, you know, business. And, okay, so you know what? I'm lying because Will and I are talking of our dream of like running a coffee shop together with 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 coffee and I would like to be part of that. And <laughs> it's just different things, right? All right, so I'll never stop. My ideas are different than just 
Like, I don't, I don't really want to sell products. I would like to have a little coffee shop with Will where he can hang his art and have like open mic night and we're like making a community coffee shop. I like creating things. It's not really like selling products as like creating things that change people's lives. And I like community. Like I want a little coffee shop where people come and it's the same people and they come together. And I mean, I'm a community creator. So one day I bet we'll do something like that. And me and Will. So yeah, I'll probably do more things and more businesses. But I don't know. It's an interesting question. I know I've got a lot more time to do things. So, And also, you know, I do have three podcasts and a full-time community that I'm running and <laughs> just released a book. So, But, but that, what I'm saying is it's funny that I consider this as slowing down is my point. I have really slowed down lately. So <laughs> that's what's really funny. That is funny. Last thing, I had a, a major epiphany this week. And this kind of goes to now I'm like, oh, maybe this should be my long-term goal in the entrepreneur world. There is not a like Whole Foods version of Target. There's not a sustainable green Target or Walmart. Isn't that crazy? You'd think there would be. Like where the grocery section is like Whole Foods and then the like the clothing is like all sustainable brands and there's not. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be great. See, like I have zero desire to be in charge of that. I mean, this idea came to me. I was talking with my business partner, Scott. <laughs> Hi, Scott. He listens to all of our shows. I was like, long-term goal now. <laughs> like like have the, the sustainable green target. The only thing is I don't know if brick and mortar stores, I don't know the the longevity of those with everything being like Amazon and stuff. See, that makes me really sad because I like to be able to touch stuff. I like to go to the store. Actually, I vote. How about we just replace all the Targets and Walmarts with this new thing that I'm, this this new store. That would be amazing. Oh, and I do like if, like Will and I have been talking about this. I don't know if we'll ever do this, but he's, you know, he's not sure what he wants to do, but he's he likes to be in food service. He likes that. He enjoys, you know, getting to know people and the arts. And so this is like a nice way to combine them one day, like a little cafe kind of a thing with also with the music and the art going on. But I was like, well, it needs to be all organic because <laughs> we don't have anything like that. Everything, organic coffee, organic pastries. Are you going to do it? I mean, we might do it one day. Like we're really talking about it. Oh, right now? We're not ready to do it right now. I mean, he's not ready. He's 22. He needs to learn more. Like I've recommended that he work at a bunch of different restaurants. Like he already, like yesterday we went and had, went to a coffee shop that's local that we like. And he's like, these tables, I don't like them. And he's, you know, being able to really look critically. Like if I had this place, I would, you know, like ambiance would be a little different, for example. Has he worked in a coffee shop? He's not ever worked in a coffee shop, but he's worked in several different types of restaurants. And he's been to coffee shops. I mean, you know what feels good. But I think working in a coffee shop would be another. I mean, I think we're a few years away. But he's got to get older, experienced, like on-the-job training. Like he's he's basically going to the college of life. Like there's no better way to really learn about the restaurant world than to be immersed in the restaurant world. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, the next step down the line after he has more experience, would be we have a, a local school, like a technical school, they might call it. I'm not really sure. It's got college in the name of it, but they have like a one-year program that teaches you the business and the, you know, the culinary. It's like a culinary school. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Anyway, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say the difference between the service industry, how you really just need that experience. It's like, it's not, it's not at all related really to education at like a collegiate system. I, like, like I graduated summa cum laude from USC and I like couldn't get a restaurant job. And I was like, <laughs> cause I didn't have experience. Right. It's a different experience. I'd always worked in restaurants as a server. I did end up working in restaurants. Yeah. It wasn't easy to get your foot in the door. I was like, I can do this job. <laughs> like, but Will likes, you know, behind the house kind of thing, back of the house. I mean, I guess is the word. He likes back of the house and he doesn't like like waiting on the tables. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 251. Those show notes will have a full transcript and links to everything that we talked about. And we talked about a lot of stuff. So definitely check that out. And then you can follow us on Instagram like we've been talking about. That is I have podcast and Jen is Jen Stevens and I am Melanie Avalon. All right. Great show. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think that's it. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. Theme music by Leland Cox. See you next week.